The Rough Drafts Podcast is sponsored by Unicorn.com, the world's premier esport betting site. Log on today to bet on all your favorite esports titles at the simple click of a button. Choose your game, choose your team, earn Unicorns, and who knows, maybe you'll earn enough to enter to win any number of fabulous prizes, such as Logitech peripherals or CSGO skins in their marketplace. Unicorn.com. Log on today. Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. I am a free agent head coach and analyst, as well as a contributor at Slingshot Esports. And welcome to the 2016 Summer NALCS Regional Finals Edition of the Guest Alliance podcast. It is such an interesting time to be a North American fan. When we went into the playoffs, there were two teams that we thought for sure were going to be stamping their pass into worlds. Immortals fell on the sword. Cloud9 wasn't able to pull off the upset, and now CLG and TSM have punched their ticket. But it's okay, because regionals are the place where both of those teams will have one more shot. Oh, and also uh, Liquid and Envious are there. But we got to break all of this down, including some craziness on the end of Liquid. And I can't think of anyone I'd rather break it down with than my good friend, Walter C.A.D. Spetschuk. Walter, how are you doing, man? Are we, sh- are we sure Liquid still exists? They haven't evaporated into into the atmosphere? Are, are we sure there's actually, like, an organization still called Liquid? I mean, are we they, positive about that? They meet the three-fifths clause of oh, starting okay. the regular season. That's, okay. that's the rule, right? We I, could... also, I, just, I also have to rub it into people's face. Oh, who called Team Liquid punting on the season? Oh, oh. I think it was this guy. I think you did. I think people should go back and listen to our podcast during the quarterfinals round. This guy right here. This guy right here. Sorry, fans. You know, we'll get to Liquid. We have plenty to talk about about Liquid. But first, we got to talk about this third place game. Immortals versus CLG. Immortals needed to win this series in order to secure that they would be the top seed in the regional bracket. That's what they were playing for. CLG had to exist in this series and hope that TSM took care of business against Cloud9. But CLG put up way more of a fight than just existing. Walter, what was your biggest takeaway from this series as a whole? See, they put up a fight, but I don't know. I feel like this was more about Immortals kind of settling into some of the challenges that they had. Um, going back to like last year against TSM, um, they showed a lot of like the weakness around their composition of when they do get into like late game team fights, they struggle somewhat uh, with their target selection and and Huni goes a little little too ham. Um, it was also a really great showing for for Hui as a whole and Stixay, um, mm-hmm. which has, has kind of been the entire season. Like Hui and Stixay have really been when they've been playing consistently. The team has been fairly successful, and and Darshan, to an extent, uh, performed pretty admirably on five Shen games. So, 
his his like his teleports and his and his Shen ultimates were fairly timely, fairly accurate. Um, he did enough that in the games that CLG were able to win, he sort of held back Hui, uh, Huni. And the games that they lost, Huni just ran him over. And I really, I don't know why they put him on Shen all five games. Well, I know why they put him on Shen all five games. Um, but it just seemed like they were handicapping the top lane and, and allowing Huni the opportunity to, you know, at any moment go off. Um, their, their picks and bans, I thought, were pretty intelligent, uh, especially taking out the Rumble because Rumble has a pretty... Probably one of the easiest matches matchups in the Shen. He can just scale as quickly as he wants. He can really get into the items that he needs to impact, and he has probably the more team fight impact a more team fight impacting alt than Shen does. Sure, the Stand United from the other side of the map is very helpful, but when the Rumble's already there and already has his his ultimate down, that's a lot of damage, especially if he's had a pretty much free farm lane against uh, against the Shen. And Shen would also has to spec into early uh, magic resistance instead of armor and be you know slightly less effective against Wild Turtle. Yeah, and for the record, it should be noted that Immortals either always picked Nar first or banned Nar. Mm-hmm. CLG never had a chance to pick it. Exactly, with the exception of Game Four, in which they opted for Rexi first, which that's a close call. I, I don't know. Gragas was still on the table, so. I would have gone for the Nar, but you know people have different priorities, and you can never go wrong with a Shen. I I was not particularly impressed by Darshan in this series. I thought his Shen was the baseline for what a Shen could be. His the two losses in games two and game five were just really bad Shen play in terms of coming into the map at the wrong places and basically coming in just to see himself die. But you're absolutely right in that who he and Sticks have been the barometer for this team for basically the entire season. Aphromoo is Aphromoo. He's going to be their primary engage tool. He's going to be the one that starts these fights because Darshan stopped being that guy a while ago. So if you're going to win, you need Aphromoo engage into the two carries just nuking opponents down. And in game one, that's exactly how things went. Who he had an insane game on Syndra, Six A's Jin. People are now talking about it as being the best Jin in North America, which I don't really have a counter argument given how good it looked game after game after game. Even in the loss in game three, it was something like 6 2 11. Like that's insane. But at the same time, when they're not on, like for example, in game five where Jin was banned. Things go very wrong very quickly. And who he, much like what we talked about when we talked about teams that fell apart during this last couple weeks of the tournament, who he can't really play Cassiopeia all that well compared to other Cassiopeia players. He looked at basically doing anything else in this series, and those things didn't work. But I mean, I I know we don't usually focus on individual games, but I kind of want to focus on Game 3 a bit because that was the game where CLG had a Baron, they took a whole bunch of towers, they had the kill lead, they had the gold lead, and Immortals just snuck this game away from them, it felt like. What gap? Because at the end of the day, you had had two stomps for Immortals, 
you had two relative stomps for CLG in which they were at the very least in control of the game for most of it. What was the difference maker and what ended up being the huge decider of the series? And what was by far the closest of the map? Game three at the end, I just think it came down to some, some missed calls in terms of their team fights. And, and it came up to the fact that Pull Belter and Huni were just so huge. It took so many cooldowns from CLG and so much time and effort to to actually kill them. Uh, Adrian was just very timely with his with his shields. There's a reason that you you know, don't necessarily want to let these kind of range sustained teamfight uh, supports into Adrian's hands, you know, Karma's, Soraka's, and the like. Um, he was just very efficient, really kept his guys alive, and, and allowed Huni and Reino and Pobelter to kind of run rampant over over CLG in these teamfights. Um, the, the scaling composition that CLG were going for with this kind of 1-3-1 split push wasn't able to hold up against Huni or Pobelter just because... Both of them play so well against a Cassidy and against a Shen. Uh, you know, once you see where the Cassidy is, Immortals essentially was just like, all right, we're gonna throw, we're gonna throw Echo into there because he can keep up with that Cassidy. You know, wherever you put the Shen, you're gonna put Pobelter on the Vladimir in there because he can keep up with the Shen. There's not a lot Shen can do to get away from a Rylai's Vladimir outside of his taunt, and even then. He doesn't get far enough away where Pobelter can't easily follow up and continue to chase him down the lane. So I think it was just some some missed calls and, and really a ton of focusing on Rainover and team fights as opposed to trying to burn down these, you know, these two damage dealers of of, uh, of immortals. Absolutely. And I, I think there's something to be said about just how hard it is to kill Echo and Vlad. Echo obviously has just so much mobility on it. And Huni, funnily enough, in that game was relatively uh, restrained in how he approached the Echo. He went in when he had a fight, and he was willing to run away when he didn't. But when he had any opportunity, he seized it. It was It's one of those things that this is Huni at his best. If you want to see the quintessential Huni game, watch game three of this series because it involves Huni just every time he sees even a bit of blood for a solo kill or to kind of get that last hit when everyone else in the team has run off to let the guy go, he gets it. And that kept them in this game. That kept them in a place where the mobility of the team and their just ability to reset fights time and time again. Oh, we don't like this one? Okay, we'll go back. Oh, Jin's trying to do his fourth bullet? Well, we'll just make ourselves invulnerable or dash back or do any of the number of things Basically, everyone on this team either has speed-ups, displacements, or a way to jump away from the worst possible abilities. And that makes it so much harder in the late game. And it's, it's easy to praise Immortals for that. It's easy to look at CLG and say, maybe you don't let all of those guys through in one draft. And to their credit, they never did again. But... To me, it's it's one of the things that I look forward to seeing when Immortals does play in the finals of regionals, whether they can keep that kind of performance and maintain that understanding of the meta, which, as we talked about last week, I thought they made mistakes when they played Cloud9. I thought they cleaned up the mistakes this week. I think that's why it's a 3-2 instead of a 2-3. But CLG is the team that, that goes through, and Huhi and 6A did their job, more often than you know as much as they needed to which again 
was not that much. They really only needed to beat Liquid for this playoffs to matter. We're seeing the fourth place team go to Worlds, Walter. What are the reasonable expectations for this team? I think that that CLG definitely pulled it back together towards the end of the split and going into the playoffs. I thought that the the series that they played against TSM was it was a blowout, but it definitely showed some signs of improvement when you consider the the other four games they played against TSM. The third game, especially, you know, one more team fight goes CLG's way, they easily can turn that back around and extend that series. Um, especially the series against Immortal shows a ton of improvement. Um, the biggest issue that's preventing them from reaching the same status that they were in the spring in an MSI is that Darshan has not, re- you know, reached that level where he was at, which I think is a, is partially due to his own insecurity currently in the laning phase, and also has to do with Silji's inability to find him necessarily winning matchups in laning phase and and really spend a lot of time with him. Hui has definitely elevated his ceiling, and we've we've seen some pretty fantastic performances out of him. Uh, over the past few weeks. Stixa is just as solid as ever. Aphromu has, and Nick Smithy have the solid shot calling and the peel that's necessary. Um, I do have a couple worries about X Smithy with the, the jungle meta shifting so drastically now. Uh, I know he did show some se- success on things like Kindred and Nidalee, which aren't quite necessarily champions that you would say, oh yeah, this is this is what Xmithy's like. He's definitely more of a Gragas Rexai kind of tank peel player. Um, so we'll see which way the jungle meta goes and if he's able to adapt. I know just the other day actually he had a stream where he was uh, the the stream title was like testing cheese jungle picks for worlds, which I'm I'm glad that he kind of is taking that sort of in stride and really like trying to expand his champion pool and figure out what's good. Uh, Let's not forget, he was actually a very, very good Vi player in Season 3. And Vi did get some buffs on this on this patch that we're going to be playing at Worlds, so there is a chance she might sneak into the meta. Um, Lee Sin, he was avidly known as a really good Lee Sin player back then. So it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to the jungle meta changes and how CLG tries to play around that. Um, but I think with just sort of the improvement that we've seen out of Hui this, this you know past four or five weeks, I'm... You know, knowing nothing about their group, I can't say, oh, CLG is going to make quarterfinals. CLG is going to, you know, win two games. But I don't think they're they're the the pushovers that we would have put them at if we look at, you know, going back to like week three or four of the regular season. I think they've definitely improved as a team. Oh, undoubtedly, this is a team that has taken huge steps forward. I mean, this was a team that at one point looked almost certainly to be in the bottom half of the league to be potentially in relegations was how they looked the first few weeks of the season. And they got their stuff together. They figured things out. They, they balanced the dynamics to where the meta was. I still have huge concerns about sending Darshan onto the world stage. That's something that would give me nightmares if I'm Zix. How do we play around the fact that there are all these top laners that can make a big impact, and Darshan just isn't one of them anymore. But if they can find a way to play around the bot lane, and the champion pool, even after 6.17, still seems to be in Huhi's way, which I believe it will be. That's what it's looking like right now, just from the brief bit of information we have. This could get really fun for CLG fans. They could be a surprise in a group that doesn't take them as seriously as they probably should. Of course, they could also get put in a group of death and none of this matters. And 
they just get blown out of the water. Welcome to how Worlds groups are. But we're going to move on. Cloud9 versus TSM. Walter, were you nervous after game one? I don't know. You had the you have the text messages to tell you that. I the truth is, <laughs> you actually put up a very brave face. I'm gonna give you credit for that. <laughs> I kept asking you, like, do I need to be worried about you? And you're like, no, it's game one. I'll I'll be okay. It but at the same time, like on Twitter. I was scared sh- I'm not yeah. even scared. <laughs> I was I was scared to death, but the one thing that that kept me going was that that TSM every once in a while in best of five series do this, where they pick this just very like weird composition to start, and they just try to figure out okay what how, how are how is this team going to try to beat us? What is their what is their pick priority? What is their rotation priority? What is their jungler going to try to do? And they spent game one and they went, okay, Cassiopeia is really important to Cloud9. Like super important to Cloud9. So going into game two, they don't have Vladimir. So there's no reason for, for Cloud9 to take Cassiopeia so early. There's no counter pick or anything. They have both the junglers up. They leave up Nar. They leave up Shen. So Cloud9 have a lot of a lot of picks. So Cloud9 obviously is going to prioritize Nar, who is the best top laner in the game right now. I'm going to say it for the 10 millionth time on this podcast in the past three or four weeks, Nara is the best top laner in the game, and Impact looked phenomenal on him throughout this series and throughout the semifinals. It was a god tier on him. So Cloud9, what do they do? They prioritize the Nar. Okay, so TSM, again, take the Jin away from, from Sneaky, which, okay, double lift didn't look great on it in game one, and they take the Rek'Sai. Perfect. Cloud9 is like, all right, we're going to take the trundle that Smoothie was so good on because it was like a direct counter to Jin with the pillars, and we're just going to take our junglers so we don't give up anything. And then TSM goes, okay, beat Cassiopeia, and Cloud9 goes, <laughs> uh, we have Belkaz, which was absolutely terrible, and they did it two games in a row where they, they did gave it up- twice. That's the most amazing part of it. Like, after game one, it's like, look, Velkaz, I liked the idea. I've seen it work in other regions. It's an interesting counterpick. Cool. But after game two, you have to realize, right, that there are these things called gap closers. I don't know if you've heard of this champion. It's called Echo. We spent a lot of time talking about him in the last series. And in fact, throughout the entire playoffs in the LCS and even outside of the LCS, he just E's and you're dead because you're Velkaz and you can't run away. How do you not see this? How do you pick it after Echo's already locked in like they did in game three? At least in game two, they have the excuse of, oh, Echo wasn't there. So really, it's just the Rek'Sai that's going to dive in. But in game three, you saw the Echo and you did it anyway. And, and that just to me shows... You know, Jensen, for all the praise we give him, and he's a great mid laner, I do not want this to be interpreted as he is not a good mid laner. He's not Bjergsen. He's just not Bjergsen. That's all it really comes down to. Because Bjergsen can play any mid laner that comes in the meta and comes his way. And Jensen had to try to find a way to cheese this Cassiopeia pick because of all the standard options that people usually go to. 
He didn't feel comfortable so, with any of them. So I do want to be fair to Jensen. Velkaz is a great counterpick into Cassiopeia. It's really safe wave clear. The Cassiopeia, if she wants to come in to challenge you, she has to get in range of, of the knockup, the E, which allows sure. you a very easy combo. The if team problem, fights didn't exist, that would be fine. The problem here, the problem here is not only did he have to deal with the Echo, which was an issue, but in the laning phase. And if you and if you have a decent laning phase and you can farm up, you can get to a point where you can sit far enough back that the Echo is really going to have to dive into your team and you just turn around and focus him down. The problem was that in the laning phase, matching up Rek'Sai and Cassiopeia Miasma means that that Vel'Koz is screwed. Mm. You have to have such perfect ward control. And that means you have to have your own race warded, you have to have the enemy race warded, you have to have the river warded, you have to have those little sides between, you know, the the, the walls and river and the camps into the jungle. Like, you have to have so many wards to protect that Vel'Koz, and Cloud9 just left him out on an island. And they tried to fix it in Game 3 with this Zac pick, and that was probably the best thing they could have done outside of warding for this Vel'Koz, was bringing in Zac and having him in really interesting gank paths. And if that... that I think it was the third gank. If Rek'Sai hadn't been there already to counter it and hadn't done a fantastic job of pretty much body blocking Zack and Vel'Koz, which is something that's absolutely fantastic on Sven's part and one of the reasons I do think he deserved the most valuable player of the of the mat, of the series. That was what turned that game around. That was what propelled Cassiopeia past the Bell's cause, and that was what began to snowball the roll for TSM. Cloud9 came in into that game three, had a very excellent plan, and it was that one moment of execution by Svenskeren that completely derailed everything that Cloud9 wanted to do. It was very well done. The gank was extremely intelligent from, from Meteos, and I'm actually not surprised that we we saw the Zach finally come out. I'm a little surprised we hadn't seen more of him just because of sort of the interesting gank pass that he can produce in standard lanes and how safe he sort of is in standard lanes, especially on the bot side of the jungle where you're guaranteed to have your 2v2. And Ash Trundle can put a lot of pressure onto this Jin Bard composition early on and kind of get a push in so they can protect their jungler. Well, um, and that's the problem because when you have an immobile mage like Velkaz, he ended up just having to camp mid lane. He never went bot lane. There was never a time in which he was able to use that Ash Trundle duo and make the kind of plays that Zach is known for. And honestly, Bjergsen, because he's Bjergsen and he can just do these kinds of things, he got really good at either warding the areas in which Zach could come in and slingshot his way into the lane, or he just saw the slingshot coming and reacted so quickly that after the first time it happened, he never got caught out by it again. And when the slingshot damage doesn't come through, that is such a huge portion of Zack's damage as a jungler, Zack is screwed. And that was, to me, the bigger problem, is that, okay, you have Zack, so you can do all, all this great stuff in a 2v2 lane, but you're not ganking an Echo, because Echo's too mobile. You don't have time to go take care of Ash and Trundle, because... Even with all the CC there, you can't leave for a second or else Sven Skarin is just going to wreak havoc onto your mid laner. Well, then you're not really getting the most out of your Zack at that point. And maybe in a world in which, you know, they have a mid laner, maybe like a Syndra that has more of a direct stun involved so but, that you but give see, yourself more time. That was the best part about this. 
TSM were so scared of that Syndra, they did not allow Jensen to play it at all. Yeah, it was a they brilliant play. They out that, that Syndra was about as crux a champion to anything that Cloud9 wanted to accomplish, and they just said nope. And that's one thing I've always loved, and, and there, there's always been a, cr- a critique about TSM pick and ban phase when you get to important tournaments like this. They will just start banning out one particular champion or two particular champions. I, I remember going back to season four worlds. Every single game was like Nidalee and Alistar bands. Every single game. Didn't care if they were blue or purple side or blue or red side. Casters are always going, why are you banning the Alistar and red side? You, you force the other, on blue side, you force the other team to ban it. And they just get to a point where they're like, nope, these champions will interrupt what we want to accomplish or are, we know are, are very important to the enemy team. We're just going to get rid of them. And I thought it was exceptional pick ban phase from... From TSM just saying they did not want to deal with the the Syndra um, at all. I thought it was very intelligent. I thought that just as a team they played phenomenally outside of game one. Even though there were at times where Cloud9 did you know keep it close and did look like they were a, a team fight away from sort of bursting through, especially at the beginning of this game three. TSM did what they've done all season, which was they adapted. They stuck to their win condition. They stuck to their game plan, and you know they're now a four time. LCS champion, and I, they're going to Worlds. Yeah, and congratulations, by the way, for that, because you are a resident TSM fan. We have to give you One of us has to be winners, right? Yeah, well, look, I think we're all winners after Reggie dropped that bomb last week with the LCS Forever movement. That is a ball that is going to just keep on rolling if recent news today is to be believed. So as far as I'm concerned... Everyone outside of Cloud9 fans were winners here. Cloud9, though, I I mean, we should talk about them just a a little bit. I mean, this was a series in which they were clearly outmaneuvered, and they were clearly outpicked, outrotated, outplayed in a lot of specific situations. But what are the positives they can take away from this as they head into this bracket stage and they need to start taking these steps forward? I think Cloud9 needs to not underestimate their opponent's pick and ban phase. I feel like they were really manipulated a lot by Parth and and really kind of were suckered into some pretty bad matchups. Um, Cloud9 had a had a what I think is an over reliance on this Trundle. It, it's a very good pick into into the Jin, but TSM really didn't show that they wanted to pick the champion. And they and Cloud9 were constantly taking it in the you know the first rotation of of pretty much every pick, um, yeah it, it was taken their first double rotation they took the Nar in game two but then their next you know two pick rotation was the Trundle um, they took Trundle twice before you know TSM had even taken the Jin which shows an understanding of that TSM want to keep the Jin away from Sneaky but at the same time it's Trundle's a good champion, I understand it, but there's th- you know two or three tanks on a team side nowadays, and yeah, the ultimate is great. It, it it peels from one of them, but I don't know that it's so worth it that you have to make it the second pick of your of your pick ban phase. And they really kind of fell into this crux. Um, they were you know repeatedly baited into this Cassiopeia Rexai combination t- twice and played an immobile mage into it twice. Um, they really highly, highly prioritized this Gnar over the Shen, which I, I was more scared of Shen. I honestly was more scared of Impact Shen, and, and in game one, he just proved to be such a strong pick and was able to impact the map so fully that 
I understand Cloud9 is afraid of the, the kind of Karma Sivir rushdown composition that TSM is very good at, but I feel like you need to just take one, just ban one or the other and either ban the Gnar and go Shen or... I, I don't know. As good as Impact Gnar was this entire series and the series before, I feel like Shen would have just provided them so much more. Uh, in terms of their team compositions, in terms of him being able to teleport into the bottom lane multiple times and really kind of tilt the game in that favor. It really felt like Medios massively underperformed. He was he was awful. Like I'm not even gonna pull punches. The meme about when they asked ask Smoothie at the end of the end of the series, oh, you know, why why do you guys think you lost? And there's the thought bubble that has Medios just leaning back in his chair, like, oh yeah, that was true. He he played like shit. He was awful. Um, outside of like some very interesting ganks with the Zach game, he just was not very intelligent in his ganks. He wasn't um, where he needed to be most of the time. It, it felt very haphazard. It felt a little move esque, where it was very meandering and 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 not focused. And I don't know, but I'm gonna keep repeating this point that I said before. I don't think Medios is starting for this team come spring. I think that with the success of Cloud9 Challenger, they're going to sell obviously sell that spot to someone, and I think Cloud9 keeps contracts off of that roster, and he's going to be the starting jungler for this team. So, I don't know, but Medios really, really disappointed, and if they want to make worlds, he has to he has to definitely step it up. Yeah, and that's huge for them because he has been such a big part of what makes that team work. Just the rotations that he brings and the leadership that he's brought is just being the leader of this team for as many years as he has been, they're going to have a lot to look at when they're building up for these regionals. The good news is their first round opponent is probably not going to be all that great. We have the battle of incompetence, the clown fiesta that we have all been waiting for in round one of the regionals. Team Liquid versus Envious. I... I have gone so far on the other end with Envious. At first, I was a fan because I wanted to have that that Renegades love still in my life. I'm now all the way on the other end to, to just hate watching a team that never felt like it lived up to its potential. Let's start there because I think Liquid is harder and, and more you know difficult to unpack. Is there anything you think is left in the envious tanks that we haven't seen yet? No, I, I mean, no, not really. I, I want to see Seraph actually against maybe a a lesser quality top laner and see if maybe he's able to style on them. Um, you know, we'll see how well he does against Lorelo. Obviously, Impact really just took it to him. Took him to the cleaners and, and didn't give him a lot of chance to accomplish anything in games two, three, and four of that series. Um, but outside of that, Envious's plan is still the same. Lot is decent as an AD carry, and Hakuo is provide serviceable enough, and they work well together. And and you know th- this team is only going to go as far as its three man death ball of, of Seraph, Proxy, and Ninja will take them. So I think Team Liquid provides a little a little easier challenge for them than than Cloud Nine did in the quarterfinals. Um, but we'll see. Team Liquid has. Uh, has definitely fallen off the horse here, so to speak. Yeah, this is certainly, that's the the upside if you're envious, is that despite having all of these problems, having Proxen get exposed, having Ninja fall off, having Seraph just not keep up and balance his need to be an in-game leader with his need to be a top lane presence, 
At least they're not starting arc second in the jungler. I answer. At least they're not starting arc second as a jungler. Walter, I look, we, we've seen moves before. We've seen players leave mid-season. But the roster lock has already happened. Dardock could play this series if they wanted him to and if he wanted to. And yet somehow, Arc Second is the jungler here, a former mid laner who I guess they've been converting behind the scenes. I can't think of a time in which I saw him actually play the jungle position before this. This is the first time in his entire uh, esports wikis page that he's ever played the position. So what the heck is happening? Um, gross incompetence by Team Liquid's management staff. <laughs> like literally disgustingly gross, awful. I don't know what the hell they're doing. I, I don't know. But I think that the suspension at the beginning of the season was very for you know was very forthtelling of uh, of what was going to happen with Dardock, and I didn't think there was going to be much of a chance that he stayed with the team early on, and then he stuck around, and they went through the regular season, and they replaced Piglet, and um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what anyone is trying to do, and I would make a joke about, you know, oh, Joka Steve is still the manager, and he we've known him for gross incompetence, but he's not. I Someone said he's off managing their CSGO team now, so I don't yeah. know what the hell is going on. But they just burned a bridge with one of the most valuable commodities that North America had to offer, a, a North American eligible jungler who was one of the top, you know, one of the top three at his position. Um, and they just gave him over to Echo Fox, who desperately needed an Air or North American jungler. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It, so... it, it, first of all, shout out to Rick Fox. I don't know how you made that deal happen. But cash. Wow. Lots of cash. Yeah, well, clearly. But Lots Still. of cash, and he had to give uh, he had to give Steve one of his finals rings. <laughs> Probably not, but no, Probably that's not, not actually what happened. Part. I have no inside but, info. But. but yeah, I mean, we'll I I mean we'll never know what the terms are because these are all private entities, and we don't do that like we do in other sports. But it is an incredible series of events that starts with him being suspended because apparently he doesn't trust or believe in anything Loco Doco says or does, which given that Loco Doco is the head coach is a bit problematic. It then involves him being unsuspended within the first week, not even at the end of the week on day two, because things were going so horrendously badly that they desperately needed him to play. Then they have articles throughout the split about how it's going to be rebuilt around him Lorlo and Matt basically telling Phoenix to, you know, go F himself, you know, giant middle finger on that end. You have Piglet who steps down from the team because he too is tired of playing for Loco Doco and whatever else is going on there. It's, you know, Dardock and he did not seem to get along. So all of this happens and Dardock still leaves. And I mean, it's honestly incredible. It, and I mean incredible in the original sense of the word. And it is hard to believe that this was the sequence of events that we just saw play out in front of us. 
It is hard to see that many things going that wrong that quickly. And right now, of all times, in the regional finals, where Liquid still has a chance to go to Worlds, and if Dardock was there, certainly they would not be favorites. Certainly their 3-1 loss in the quarterfinals is problematic, to say the least. But you still have a shot. And it would be one thing if they were just benching Dardock for whatever reason, but he's gone. He's they didn't even wait for the dust to clear, for the split to be done, you know, to come up with some sort of excuse. They just said, yeah, he's still under contract for a few months, but he's going to be playing for Echo Fox. Echo Fox can say that he's going to be playing for Echo Fox. We don't even want him around. We don't want to even give any sense of hope for our team and our fans. And we're starting arc second as a juggler. That's who- a jet. That's a. That's a Tim Maste-level punt. It's amazing. I I mean, and the amazing part is, I'm still not sure who's the favorite in this series. Like, as bad as all of that is, an arc second might be one of the worst junglers we've seen on a regionals or playoff stage, because the worst junglers usually drag their teams down with them. There's a reason that hard is not played in a playoff game. I'll put it that way. But even if he is... You've still got Lorelo versus Seraph. You've got Phoenix versus Ninja. We've just forgotten Fabi. Apparently, all that time and energy they Fabby. put in Fabi, all those yeah. comments that they made about like, oh man, Fabi's earned it. He's worked so hard. Jin. N- now we're Jinth. Now we're we're Team Jinth. Whatever that means. And that is the advantage that Envious has. But I mean, Walter. How do you even come up with a line for this? Like, we guessed lines. We found out, if you listened to yesterday's podcast, we are now aware I have won the challenge. There is no way for Walter to catch up, even with the intense comeback mechanics that we give during the regionals. But we are still guessing lines. I want to get in your head. What was your thought process when you I guessed this line? I flipped a coin. Okay. I literally flipped a coin to determine the favorite <laughs> and then put a, a reasonably, like, low-ish amount Okay, so what did the coin flip tell you? It told me Team Liquid minus 155. Wow, okay, I get this one. I don't care. You've already won. I mean, that's fair. But see, when you said I flipped the coin, what you should have realized is so are the casinos. It's minus 115 on both sides. It's even odds. Oh, okay. I guess Team Liquid minus 130 for the record. But yeah, they gave both teams minus 115, which means... Each team is projected to win 53% of the time. And if you're wondering, how is that possible? Remember, There's casinos are here to make money. Welcome to the VIG. This is, this is the best way to explain a VIG. It's like, it, there's a 53% chance that both of these teams win. That 6% is where they make their money. So, I, I mean, we try to come up with smart money bets for this. Do we just take the... Five maps uh, at, at plus 165? Yeah. I, I mean, is, do, do you want to favor Team Liquid in this? I don't I don't want to gamble. <laughs> Any, is this, I don't is this want, smartest money bet just to tell them not to bet? The smartest money bet is to go spend any money that you're going to gamble with on alcohol and go out to a bar and don't watch this atrocity of a game. Or and... better yet, watch the atrocity of the game with the alcohol no, and make a drinking no, 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 game no, out of it. No, 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 
No? No, no. Go go hang out with your friends. Shut off your computer. <laughs> don't give the viewership. Don't, no. Just don't watch this. Just leave. T- to be fair, I am the person who once invited all of my friends to come over to see Hamlet the Vampire Slayer. So I have a certain penchant for terrible, terrible uh, events, I suppose. Which, by the way, if any of you listening... Uh, it's $2 on Amazon to go watch Hamlet the Vampire Slayer. It is a movie so bad that it is written in the William & Mary Sci-Fi Fantasy Club Constitution that I cannot nominate movies anymore. And honestly, I'm not sure that we should be allowed to to make smart money bets on North American games anyway because we had another 0-2 week last week. We thought Immortals was going to stomp. You know, that was where the value was. CLG had not looked great the week before didn't happen and we thought tsm versus cloud nine could get to five maps we got close cloud nine took one and then tsm just shut that door so you know what maybe it's for the best maybe this is where we are do we even need to talk about how cloud nine's gonna handle either of those teams oh hell no cloud nine's stopping man i almost want to write in now like cloud nine minus 400 for whoever they play like there's no way there's, I, I can't imagine a world in which it's anything other than Cloud9 Immortals in the finals. So let's just get to that world. What is the difference maker between those two teams? What spins one over the edge here? Uh, uh, coin flip? <laughs> Flipping coins can't solve all of your problems, Walter. That's not how coins work. I, joke, jokes aside about a coin flip, um, man, it, it's just going to come down to, I think, just a couple team fights. It's going to come down to pick and ban priority, and it's going to come down to is is Impact going to be able to to hold his own against Huni again for another five-game series? Like that's, that's really what won it for Cloud9 in the first place was their ability to – a hold back Huni and, and were able to protect their back line. And it was some fantastic games from Sneaky and from um, from Jensen. I also don't think that Immortals are going to give away a game one again by first picking Karma uh, like they did against CLG. I think that's off the table. I don't understand why you would ever, ever first pick Karma. Um, I don't think it's strong right now. I don't think it's a good move. And at the end of the day... I think they've learned a lot from the TSM series. Syndra will probably be a ban uh, that they'll utilize. They'll understand that the Trundle is very, sh- a sh- very strong pick in Smoothie's hands, and they might prioritize it for Adrian, who has shown that he's okay at the champion. Um, he is he is passable, especially if they're going to let Jin fall into Cloud9's hands. So I think this is another five-game series, and, and it really comes down to the sort of priorities that are placed in pick-and-ban phase by both teams. And whether Impact can can withstand another five-game series from Huni. I think it'll be a very close series, and it'll be probably one of the best series that we've watched all year. I think it'll definitely be better than the CLG Immortals series. It is one of those things where I can't wait to see which one of these emerges. Because at the end of the day, you know, CLG did their thing. Uh, they, they battled the five games. We saw... Cloud9 and Immortals. Didn't, hold on, I'm, I'm losing my head. They played in the semifinals, right? Yes, sir. Said. Yep. I think you're absolutely right. 
and this is one of those things where sample size matters. And we've seen this so many times before where the more often teams play each other, the more they figure themselves out, the more they learn their lessons from what went wrong and the more they adapt. And if you think that this series is going to be, you know, a, a repeat of what happened before, then you are ignoring the fact that teams naturally grow when given new information and that these coaches have now had five games to go back and forth with each other. And all those things, you go back and listen to my the podcast from last week, all the things that I called Immortals out on, where I was very harsh and critical about their pick and ban, they learned all that stuff. They clearly were better just this week about it. So imagine how much better they're going to be now that they've played CLG, now that they've seen how TSM dismantled Cloud9. And on the other hand, if you're Cloud9, you can look and say, well, CLG did it twice. And CLG is a team that, according to CLG, Cloud9 was just killing in scrims. Just absolutely murdering in yeah, cold this blood. Is, this is why we don't listen to any scrim, scrim chatter, guys. Like, yeah, don't which, believe them. Like, it I've, look, doesn't matter. I, I've run scrims before. I've seen. I've had my Turkish team that I used to run that was a challenger team that could not qualify to get into the main league. Take out a team that is right now in the top four of the international wild card. Scrims don't matter. They really, really don't matter. Teams try things. They do weird stuff. You know, there are people who already said that they didn't like scrimming Immortals because Immortals likes to go off the wall, which, I mean, whatever. There are a lot of politics that I don't care about enough to get into. Scrim results don't matter. But if you're, you know, if you're Cloud9 or you're Immortals, you, you say, like, okay, well, Every other team are saying that these two teams are really good at these things. My my one concern is that Cloud9 is going to have TSM scrimming with them basically all week. TSM, it looks like, is going to do the thing that other champions have done in the past and stay a week behind to help a team that they have a good friendship with. I have no idea who Immortals is going to be scrimming. I, Envious? Liquid? I, none of those sound good to me. It, it, it's going to be a, an interesting thing in that regard. So, I, so, I don't know if CLG will. It, CLG seemed very bitter about some certain scrim things. It, it, it. Well, no, it was TSM. I was just thinking double. I don't know. I don't know the relationship that CLG has with Immortals. I, I feel like typically they're considered part of the old boys club with uh, Cloud9 and TSM, but you never know. But no matter what happens, this is going to be a battle for the ages. This is going to be two teams with everything on the line, both of whom played so well this split, one of whom it's a redemption story for Cloud9, how they learned from all their lessons and improved in such a huge way. Smoothie coming from being basically a nobody on TDK to being an absolute monster for Cloud9 now and Immortals having... You know, two splits in a row where they came up short in the semifinals and fought their way back in the third place game. There's just so much that I cannot wait to see play out there. And, it, you know, it's one of those things where the, the typical sports me uh, metaphor is, well, it's going to depend on who wants it more. And both these teams want it so badly. 
Huni and Rainover want to get to Worlds to prove that it wasn't just Fnatic that got them there. Wild Turtle wants to get to Worlds to prove it wasn't just a, a TSM thing. Adrian wants to get there for the first time. And meanwhile, Impact wants to go back to being a top-tier top laner. Jensen wants to prove himself on an international stage. Medios wants to prove he still has it in him. Like, all of these players have all, you know, even more than just the typical getting to Worlds is awesome storyline. There's so much on the line in terms of legacy, in terms of how we're going to view these franchises going into the offseason. It's going to be a battle for the ages, and I cannot wait to see it play out. Walter, we got to touch on one more thing before we wrap this up, because as we were podcasting, an article has been dropped by Obscurica talking about some issues within the Riot Esports department. It could not have come at a worse time for Riot, mostly because they're just now recovering from the last series of huge scandals concerning Mark Merrill's comments. And after backtracking and reassuring everyone that it wasn't as bad as it looked, we're seeing now that it was possibly worse than it looked. I mean, without getting into it, because we could spend an entire podcast unpacking everything, you know, what stood out to you here as as really being the, the nail in the coffin yeah, as so, far as how Riot would have to deal with this moving forward. Absolutely. So the article is coming from, from James Obscurica Chen over at PvP Live. Um, and, and the very basis of TLDR is that there is a uh, extreme case of favoritism and basically a total ignorance uh, regarding how league operations are supposed to run uh, in the, the Riot esports uh, sector that Wayland Roselle, who is the... the I don't remember his exact position, but he's basically the director of esports and league league operations, uh, essentially for Riot. Yeah, the esports director um, is basically got there through a lot of uh, schmoozing up to the right people. Uh, prominently, Dustin Beck, who is the brother of Riot of co-founder Brandon Beck, um, which is Rise. Um, Dustin went by the name Redbeard, and Roselle basically, after you know, maintaining his trust. Um, the, the, one of the quotes is that basically Wayland's not a partier. He's a pretty straight edge guy. I don't think there was anything illicit or weird about his dealings, but he sucked up hard to Dustin Beck. Dustin Beck was the original uh, esports director, and then he stepped down and moved on. And the position was handed to Nick Allen, and then handed over to to Wayland Roselle. So it, it talks about a lot of things. It talks about a lot of the the politics going on behind the scenes. Um, a lot of the lack of culpability among the people in charge. Uh, talks about. Uh, a lack of the the sustainability, and I think the most damning thing that that one of these uh, sources did say to um, Obscurica, and I'm going to read the quote directly from the article, uh, and I quote: uh, "Riot really doesn't like people pulling back the curtain," said the source. The community judgments about public decisions are problem enough. If they saw what a mess the department was and how clueless they were about the future, they would be more surprised. And the source quote, uh, continuing on with the article, there are, they claim, no five to ten year plans. The department is barely able to plan one or two years ahead. Riot Esports is just, and I quote, just kind of woefully unprepared for the type of ecosystem they were creating with the LCS and the consequences of the restrictions they put on the market. 
this to me is one of the most damning things that were put in there. And there is even one that is that is close when talking about the sale of the the banditos uh, and of renegades themselves. Uh, that's a little bit further on and, and shows potentially some in immoral behavior by by Roselle in terms of the how that sale those sales actually operated. It is a fantastic read. There is a the wealth of insider knowledge that's placed in here from from um, unnamed sources to to Obscurica and to PvP Live. Uh, go read it. I if you come back to September first and look at all my tweets and retweets, there's a thousand of them. It's on the top of Reddit right now. Um, go read it. Go learn some things. To me, Chase, this didn't necessarily teach me a lot new, but it has affirm some of the suspicions and and some of the more conspiracy theories that I kind of had in my own head um it per, you know prominently the the lack of this like 5 to 10 year plan like we look at real sports and we just negotiated collective bargaining agreements in the NFL and and in the NBA and they're 8 to 10 you know they're 8 to 10 years long and they they're projecting out oh, yeah we're going to be here for this many years and I understand that esports as a whole it's very hard to predict Anything super, super long term, but to only have things planned for maybe one season, when you're trying to create this really sustainable ecosystem that they constantly parrot about the reason of why they chose this LCS system and why they're so strict on how they operate and all these things of why they don't crowdfund and everything. It's sustainability. We want to be a long term esport. The fact that there is this claim from this source saying that they just don't have a plan um, is really, really kind of damning on their part and really takes a lot of uh, what they've said and we've accepted at face value and really puts it through a meat grinder. Yeah, it's huge. It's absolutely a, a massive story. I, I highly recommend it's on PVP live. You can't miss it. It's probably on the front page of Reddit now. If you somehow have a time machine and are going back to yesterday when we posted our EU LCS podcast, it is it is something that everyone who cares about esports and League of Legends esports in particular should be reading because it says so much about what Riot has created as a culture at that site uh, as a as an it says so much about what Riot has created as a culture as an organization and how so many people, genuinely good people at the bottom, and, and I've heard nothing but good things about the people who are just trying to do their job day in and day out, getting thwarted time and time again by a management guy that is clearly in over his head. I mean, I think they make some comment about, well, he was a Giants fan, so he was sure to get through. Like, that's insane. That's something that, you know, you've really got to wonder how we get here. And now that this is all public, Riot will have a response and we'll be there when it happens. And you'll be there because you're going to go subscribe on soundcloud.com slash esports rough drafts or on iTunes if you go to rough drafts on the podcast section, because that way you'll get all of our episodes, including our follow up to regionals that will surely be coming next week. We're planning on doing some world's preview pieces for sure. We're not exactly sure what form that's going to take yet, but we will keep you updated as we know. And if this story evolves in any way from here, I'm already seeing that, you know, in response to the allegations about the banditos and renegades having to be sold off, 
that people are wanting to make statements in which they will, quote, not hold back. So this is not over. And I have a feeling that floodgates are going to open even more so than we thought floodgates were opening when Mark Merrill just happened to make a really stupid comment on Reddit. This is so much more than that. And we'll be here. So you guys should be here as well. Uh, you can also be sure to follow at Rough Drafts Pod for all of our podcast news. This is also where we'll be doing all of our live tweeting. I don't know how much I'll be able to live tweet as this is my birthday this weekend, Saturday, go team. Uh, and my family's in town, so I'll be spending some time with my sister and, and everything else. So I cannot make any promises as to me live tweeting, but I'm sure Walter will pick up the slack for me as we look at all this regionals action. And of course, you couldn't keep me away from this Immortals Cloud 9 series. So stay there for all the live tweeting and all podcast news. And of course, we have our personal handles as well. I am at RedshirtKing on Twitter. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy most of regionals this week. Envious Liquid if you're really looking for a train wreck. Otherwise, there are five other games this week that should be quite a lot of fun. And we will see you next week for wrapping all of it up and all of the world's prep that's coming your way. So until then, goodbye, Internet.